Have you ever dreamed of one day owning your own business, but just don't know where to begin? Then you've tuned into the right show. On All Things Franchising, you will hear from top national franchisers, successful franchisees, attorneys, CPAs, and others who support this fast-growing business model. So grab a cup of coffee and pen and notepad, because you will want to capture the invaluable information you hear on today's show. And now, here is your host, Linda Ballesteros. Hey folks, welcome to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Ballesteros and I am your host today. Thanks so much for finding some time out of your busy day to spend with me. Uh, Today we're talking about the wine industry. That's right, the wine industry. No, we're still talking about franchising too, but I recently read an article that said after being hit hard by COVID, wine consumption is expected to bounce back in 2021. And for those listening to the recording, this is July the 13th of 2021. The wine market is projected to see a 4.28% increase between 2021 and 2026. So that's going to be the topic of discussion today with my guest, Ken Leinberger. He is the founder and president of the Water's Edge Winery franchise. He started offering winery franchises nationwide in 2012. Water's Edge Wineries is a unique concept allowing franchise owners a micro winery and bistro in their community. I love that because we're hearing more about, more about these micro concepts, micro gyms, micro breweries, and now we're talking about a micro winery. So please help me in welcoming Ken to the show. Ken, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Linda. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to have you here, Ken, because so many people think of franchising as, you know, maybe a, a, a lube shop, you know, or maybe a burger joint or maybe a, a, a massage uh, salon. But wineries? Ken, where did that come from? That's a great question. So, you know, it's, it's a funny thing, Linda, that the winery industry is dominated in just a few states in our country. So California, uh, the um, upper Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and a handful of other states. There's just six states that have 80% of all of the wineries in the United wow. States. And to me, that's just greatly unfair. So we want to take the other uh, states that are not in that group and, and get people wineries nearby them. Wow, that is incredible. So, Ken, tell me a little bit about your background and how the idea of Water's Edge came about. So we uh, decided back in 2004, and when I say we, I mean my wife and I, uh, that uh, there was an opportunity in the marketplace to cut the cord or or cut the vine, might be a better way to say it, uh, between (laughs) having to have a a winery in an agriculture area far away from the people and put it in in more densely populated suburban and urban marketplaces. Mm -hmm. We saw this trend develop in the microbrewery industry where microbreweries today are are almost everywhere. You see them uh, uh, in in every 
populated area. So we wanted mm-hmm. to take that idea and move it to the winery industry. And so far, we've done that very successfully by disconnecting the, the need to have vineyards attached to a winery or nearby the winery in order to produce the wine that they need. Mm. Now, did you have a background in wines, Ken? No, my background, uh, besides drinking a lot of wine, Linda, uh, was in uh, sales and marketing. Uh, I worked for a large software firm. Uh, I was a a manager um, for about half the U.S. of them, had offices in in, uh, Dallas, Texas, and also in Irvine, California, just shuttling back and forth. But what that did, Linda, was it gave me the opportunity for the nearly 20 years that I was in corporate structure to understand the need for the infrastructure within the company, the the need to have systems and processes in place so that you could scale something up. So it was a great training ground for me to be able to have what it need what I needed to start a successful franchise opportunity. Yeah. So when you came up with the concept of Water's Edge, Ken, why did you decide to uh, embrace that franchise business model when you were launching it? Well, the, the, my interest and my passion for wine uh, is, is one of the main reasons. I love enjoying wine, but also teaching people about wine, letting them experience wine, and understanding the rich history and cultural stories that we can intertwine with the stories of wine. And so that created opportunity because I, just, I love people, and I love interacting with people, and I love giving people something that truly makes them happy. And the neatest thing, Linda, is that when you own a winery – and passing someone across the other side of the tasting bar a glass of wine or a taste of wine that you made, that is such a great feeling because when you see their reaction, say, wow, this is really great. Uh, You didn't just package something or selling somebody else's product. That is your product that you created. Now, uh, it's in within the structure of, of how we do it, so we know that it's going to turn out great every time. But to me, that's very exciting to be able to offer people a product that is uh, considered a, a classy product, uh, almost a, an affordable luxury, I like to use that term, product, and one that you actually created yourself. Now, when you say that the franchise is not attached to um, the actual vineyards, where are the vineyards and where does the wine come from? So grapes can be grown in almost any climate, um, but there's a a range of climates that that quality wine-growing grapes uh, really excel. So we uh, look for those vineyards around the world. Actually, our, our primary supplier does all that footwork for us, so we don't have to be involved in it. A lot of people ask me, are you jetting off to Italy and New Zealand and all these other exotic places to look for, for vineyards and make contracts? Actually, we don't have to do that. That's, that we uh, outsource, although I would love to jet off to those places, uh, <laughs> but more on, on a leisure, leisure basis than, than having to do work over there. But nevertheless, they do all of that uh, contracting, and, and we, there's really a global supply chain for fruit. And I tell people they they just can't imagine how that works, but I ask people here in the United States, where do you think uh, in the middle of winter you've got, you know, fresh grapes and fresh, uh, you know, all kinds of fruits at your grocery Mm -hmm. store? The reason is because we're shipping it, we're importing it in from the hemisphere that is able to grow them during that time of year. So Mm -hmm. we are no different. We're able to uh, contract that out and bring in the supply from, as I mentioned, Italy, France, New Zealand, Australia, uh, Germany, um, South America, uh, and of course places like California, Washington as well, where we're bringing in the the and really what we're bringing in is the varietal juice, the Chardonnay, the the uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, the Malbec, whatever it is, 
we're bringing that into each one of our individual locations as juice. It has no alcohol. It hasn't been made into wine yet. And then we teach our owners how to go through a fermentation process and then go through the other steps that's required. And there's really just four steps to making the wine. So we keep it simple and we keep it uh, where they can repeatedly do that process without any risk of coming out with a good wine sometimes, a bad wine other times. We don't do that. It's, it's a very um, documented and careful process that we go through so that our, our owners are making a high-quality product every single time. So, Ken, as a customer, when I walk into one of the Water's Edge wineries, describe to me what experience I would expect to receive. Sure, and, and we, uh, we refer to our customers as guests because that's how we okay. see them as, as mm-hmm. guests in our winery, and we, we treat them uh, accordingly. So when, when somebody, first of all, the, the location itself is going to be in an upscale shopping center. Um, usually it's got other very fine dining restaurants nearby, uh, perhaps a movie theater or a play, a live play action theater. It could be just a, a downtown walking area that a lot of cities have revamped their, their downtowns uh, to, to make them more attractive to people to come and shop at. So we love being in places like that. When our guests walk inside the winery, the first thing that they often will notice is the smell. Um, if you've ever been in a winery where fermentation is active and uh, things are going on in the winemaking process, the smell is just wonderful. So that's, uh, it's sort of like going into a bakery where you get that smell of the mm-hmm. fresh bread coming out that just makes you start to want to uh, taste their bread and try their bread. It's the same thing yeah. with our wine. So the smell is the first thing. Uh, when, they, when they walk in, they'll see what probably looks like to most people a wine bar type atmosphere where you've got high tops and low tops, you've got a tasting bar area. But then quite often right behind the uh, bar or sometimes over to the side, depending on the layout of the place, we have these beautiful stainless steel tanks that are custom made for our system. And those are uh, where we ferment some of the wine. Not all the wine is made in those. We actually have a smaller set of tanks that's usually behind closed doors. Um, But that tells our guests when they see these beautiful uh, stainless steel tanks that we're actually producing the product. We're not just reselling someone else's. And that's sort of the eye catcher that gives us credibility as a winery when they walk in the door. Mm. Now, is um, do you also offer food? Is it um, you know a, a, a bit of snacks to go along with that? Because I know the pairing is really um, a, quite an educational process. Sometimes is to teach people about pairings as well. Yeah, what uh, what wine wants to be just wine? It wants to go with food and it wants to complement right. food. So we see that as a very natural fit. We introduced. Our bistro-style food in 2014 into our system, Uh, and what that entails is a small kitchen footprint, usually about 500 square feet or less of the space. We don't want to be a restaurant, so we don't have big stoves or ovens or any of that kind of uh, appliance to to make the food in, and we focus on uh, five categories of food. Uh, We do flatbreads, uh, paninis, charcuterie boards, salads, and desserts. So we keep the menu simple. Uh, we usually have about 20 items on, on it in those categories. Uh, we use the, the Turbo Chef oven to do all of our cooking. It's the same appliance you see in every uh, Starbucks and Subway out there that heats their, their sandwiches up very quickly. It's automated. It's programmable. So we don't need a complicated kitchen operation. A lot of people, when I tell them we are not a restaurant, 
uh, most people I tell that to who are looking at a franchise say, thank goodness, I don't want a restaurant. Right. Some people <laughs> restaurants, they say, look, if you were a restaurant, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. So people yeah. really seem to understand the risk and the lower margins that a much more full-service restaurant would carry. And we, we are pride ourselves on the high margins that our, our products, uh, both the wine and the food, carry. Yeah, yeah. Kim, let's talk a little bit now about what that franchise opportunity looks like. When you are looking at looking for the perfect um, prospective franchisee, are you looking for someone who already has some experience and knowledge in wines? There are probably two characteristics that we focus on the most. Um, they don't have to have experience in the wine industry or uh, be, a, be a, a certified sommelier or anything like that, um, although many do come in with those kind of certifications uh, because they have a passion for wine and we're a natural fit for them. The main things that, that we look for in, in coming into this are, uh, number one, are they, are they passionate about wine? Um, if, if I'm talking to somebody and I get the sense that whatever business they open, they really couldn't care less if it was a, a wine, you know, a winery, a wine bar, whatever, or it could be a dry cleaner franchise for all they care. You know, it's just, they're just looking for a business and they don't have any real motivation that, that uh, what we do is, is particularly exciting to them. So th- those folks, I, I don't generally engage with them because it's, uh, they're just not going to carry that passion into the business model sure. that we look for in our owners. The second trait that I look for is, do they like people? Um, many people are introverted. They just assume sit in an office or a cubicle and kind of do their own work, and that's fine, but we're not an introverted business. This is a people business. You have to be willing to, to go out in front, uh, smile, talk with people, shake their hands, uh, make them smile, and, and really make it a, a very people interactive business. So for somebody that, that uh, really is, is more inwardly focused or just wants to, to be technical or in technical type uh, skill sets for a franchise, um, we do offer some of that, right? The interest in how do you make the wine is technical in a sense, mm-hmm. but really this is a people business and that's what I look for. Is this a people person? Mm-hmm. So if you're saying that someone doesn't necessarily have to have experience in or a lot of knowledge in wines, what kind of training are you offering your new franchisees so that they're up to speed and so that they can provide the 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 education or um, talk to the the guest about what might be a good choice for them? We offer a, a large variety of, of uh, training packages that we basically start with them the day they join the franchise. And then usually, Linda, it will take about six to nine months to find a location and get the doors open. So in that period of time, we're able to uh, put them through a lot of training, and we use that time for exactly that purpose. So our training starts off with uh, sending them a, a curriculum of, of books and materials, our training manual, our operations manual, and having them go through and read those and, and start to get a foundational knowledge of how our model really works in a, in a, at a deep level or an intimate level. The second level of training uh, that we start them on is our online training. Uh, my director of training, Art DeCaro, he uh, schedules weekly calls with uh, our owners, and they go through a, an online. We have nine different lessons, each one being about 90 minutes long, Uh, that are really focused on three areas. Number one is how to operate the model profitably. What does that look like and how do you do that? Uh, Number two is a a broad wine knowledge, especially from the regions and the countries where we know we bring in a lot of the the product from. So we we get them to know the stories, know the 
the cultures and, and the history of, of wine so that they can uh, teach their staff and, of course, pass that on to guests. And then finally, we give them foundational winemaking knowledge so they at least have a base when they come out for our training here in California. Um, then that's the next stage as they come out here to California for a week. Uh, we do a lot of different things, but that's where they really get hands-on the winemaking. They're going to go back with my winemaker, Matt, and he's going to teach them during the course of that week all the stages of the winemaking, and they will actually get to do it so that they will have experience then. And then finally, uh, the, the final part of our training comes when they get their stainless steel tanks in place. And again, Matt or Art will go out to their location. Uh, we usually will make four trips to their location to do the training on the larger tanks. And then uh, after that, they're, they're pretty much trained and ready to go, confident. Um, I tell my owners, when you're done with this training, you're not going to know everything in the wine world. Nobody does. Even the, the okay. experts don't. There's still stuff that they don't know. But you'll be confident going toe-to-toe -to -toe with someone who is very knowledgeable. You'll know things they don't, and they'll know things you don't. But, but that's mm -hmm. a very small segment of the population. Our owners know more than about 99% of all the guests who walk through their front door. So it gives them a high degree of confidence that they can operate the business and be credible to their community. Sure, absolutely, and I think that's really important, especially in in the wine community, because I think uh, there are those that like to flex their knowledge muscle and, and share some of some of the things that they know. So I certainly get that. So, Ken, when you were talking about location, okay, so they're going through the training, they're looking for that location. You talked about the, it being in maybe a higher in strip center what kind, what does the square footage look like what does that footprint look like so we are looking for uh 2500 to 3500 square feet of, of that space plus a patio i will say that uh many of my owners now are pushing 4000 4500 square feet and, and even wow. a little above that for the primary reason that we're seeing the demand for private event space at our wineries mm -hmm. just be almost we can't meet it in some of the areas that we are because people are looking for a classy place to have a gathering of say 20 to 30 sometimes 35 people for for bridal showers for anniversary or birthday parties uh, and during the week we get a lot of corporate meetings in there where for example uh, maybe a medical equipment sales rep wants to gather up the uh, the doctors in his community uh, or her community to be able to uh, talk about a new device and so they're, the doctors, even though they may not come and drink wine uh, during that time, they still like the idea of going to lunch at a winery in, in their town. Right. So it helps those types of sales opportunities, financial planners, attorneys, they'll have their meetings at our wineries during the week. So it keeps us busy pretty much every day of the week. So that's pushing us to be, uh, in many areas, larger spaces to, uh, to help accommodate that demand. Yeah, I can certainly see that. Uh, quite a few years ago, I led a women's networking group, a women's business networking group, and we had a, a great relationship with a local wine bar who had a space that was not totally closed off, but it was separate from the rest of the main uh, dining area. And it was the, the, the food options were very similar to what you are describing. And we loved going there because it was a great place to, for just casual networking. It was a great place to uh, have a, uh, you know, 20, 30 ladies together and um, just do some great business networking. So I think the atmosphere 
for um, at a winery is just perfect also for networking. So you might add that on your list too when you're thinking mm-hmm. about um, having um, private, private. We used to have sip, um, sip and shops. So we would have some of the women who had um, uh, items that they could sell. Uh, they would set up a couple of tables and it would be a sip and shop. So everybody benefited from that. It was, it was great. So uh, you're right. When it comes to event space, I tell you, people are uh, always looking for it. So if you've got one to offer, I think that's just fabulous. So when it comes to opening the location, Ken, what is the strategy when your franchisee is getting ready to do their grand opening? What type of marketing do you help them with? Yeah, we have a pretty extensive marketing plan that we we execute in the last 90 days before they, they open. We, uh, we have a, a relationship with a PR firm that is very well connected in the food and beverage industry and also understands franchising, so it's sort of a perfect marriage with them. And we, they engage with our owners uh, and, and write the stories, create the press releases, and really start to push that out into the community. They have uh, connections with most major media outlets in, in communities, know how to get into there, get their attention and start to get some media coverage. If you go onto our website at watersedgewineries.com and go into the news section, you'll see uh, almost every other week another article uh, being featured on a news, uh, news station, local news station, our owners being interviewed, being talked about, and, and that gets wide coverage in the community. And people mm-hmm. tend to get very excited that there's a winery coming into their, their town. They don't have those typically in, in the places that we open up. So that generates a lot of buzz. And then what we do is we start marketing our wine club to the community uh, and, and start to get people signed up. My owners have a goal that by the time they open their doors, we want them to have 100 wine club members already signed up, ready to go, and uh, that's what we call our founders club. So right away they can start that recurring revenue stream the day that they, they start open, you know, they open their doors and they start selling wine. That creates some stability in their model and also creates sort of a built-in fan base. Wine club members tend to be very enthusiastic, very excited. We call them our ambassadors, our wine ambassadors, and they tend to be, uh, bring a lot of people into our places because they really love being members. And then finally, we do a lot with social media. So we have um, a, a, every month, we, our PR firm puts together a social media posting calendar, and there are uh, all kinds of posts that they can grab and put into their feed. They're generic enough that they, they can, anybody can use them in our system and then push those out through social media. One of the magical things about our business model is people in the community want to follow our, our brand. Uh, unlike, you know, the, the, the local shoe store that says follow us on Facebook. I mean, look, he's, he's got to make a living too, so I don't blame him for doing it. But the fact of the matter is no one really wants to do a social media feed of, of the local shoe store. But when you're talking about a winery, you want to know who's checking in there, who's playing mm-hmm. there this weekend, what kind of entertainment's going on, what special tastings or special wines are, is the winery featuring. And there's just a lot of excitement and buzz in the social media uh, world uh, about our winery. So it really creates a, a vehicle that's very inexpensive for us to reach large swaths of people in a given geographic uh, area. So though, that's really our marketing plan is, is under those, uh, each of those uh, categories. 
Yeah, I, I love it. And as we're talking about the communities and the areas, what does a territory look like for Water's Edge wineries? The territory is dependent upon the population of the, the density of the population. So in, in most suburban markets uh, that are modestly populated, we're, we're probably looking at a three to five mile radius around the, 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 the location will be the center of. Mm -hmm. If it's uh, more densely populated, uh, you know, a, a downtown urban area, Houston, Miami, Los Angeles, those types of places, it can be as small as one square mile around uh, the location. So that's, that's mm -hmm. going to be the variable. And, and we're pretty flexible. I mean, we want our owners to feel comfortable that we're not going to put another franchise on their doorstep that starts negatively impacting their sure. sales. So the, uh, the earlier buyers into our system, we've given them more flexibility to create a territory that they feel is more than adequate to protect their, their backyards. Yeah, that's that sounds great. Um, Ken, I am I'm facing commercial here, but I love stories, and I think my and I know my listeners love to hear stories. Do you happen to have any stories you could share with us when we come back? Oh, you bet! Tons of stories. That's all wine is is stories. <laughs> Very good. Well, I can't wait to hear some of those. So, folks, we're going to take a real quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to hear about. More wine stories from Ken with Water's Edge Wineries. Stay tuned. House Talk Radio. Join Tony and Wendy Gambone on House Talk Radio, where they talk all things house. From tips on home repairs and remodeling to best practices on buying and selling a home, hiring contractors, home loans, and insurance, as well as decorating ideas and how to get the most bang for your buck. If you would like more information about House Talk Radio, go to housetalkradio.com. Tune in every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. to Tough Talk Christian Radio with Tony Gambone. Tough Talk Christian Radio is for those who want to share and receive expressions of faith that will help you take the next step in your relationship with Christ. Listen in to hear from others about their experiences of faith and the love of Christ. Call in to share your experiences at 347-989-1363. Learn more by going to toughtalkchristianradio.com. Are you dreaming of owning your own business but just don't know where to begin? The wait is now over. Linda Ballesteros is a catalyst to becoming a business owner through franchising. Whether you are looking to create a living that will allow you to leave corporate America, change your lifestyle, allowing you to enjoy the fun things in life, or if you're looking to build a legacy that will support your family for years to come. Contact Linda today to start the process of being your own boss. Linda at EmpowerFranchiseConsulting.com, 832-640-4922. Hey, folks, welcome back to All Things Franchising. Linda Ballesteros here, and my guest is Ken Leinberger, and he is the founder of Water's Edge Wineries. So, Ken, when we broke for commercial break, I asked if you had some stories you could share with us. Yeah, you bet, Linda. I think that uh, one of the neat things that I love about the wine industry and wineries uh, are that when you go to a, a, a winery uh, and have a visit, 
the best wineries, the best experiences we have are when uh, the staff on the other side really tells us the stories, the stories of the winery itself, the stories of the vineyards and the grapes and the places that the, the grapes come from. So th this whole business is built around knowing those stories and being ready to tell them to people. But uh, specifically, uh, I will tell you that a, a common uh, thing I hear from my owners is that when they announce to their community, their chamber, their friends and family that uh, they're going to open up a winery, uh, the common thing I hear from them is they said, I feel like a rock star. Everybody wants to talk to me. Yeah. I go to, you know, an event or parties or whatever, and everybody says, oh, you're the one who's, who's going to open up a winery here in, in town of Water's Edge. And uh, they, they tend to be the center of attention in, in a lot of ways, and, and not that it's uh, a bad thing, but they almost get a little embarrassed because other people, you know, let, let's say you're in a business meeting, a chamber of commerce meeting, uh, other people are being ignored and hear their business stories because the winery owner, everybody wants to talk to, how are you doing this, where is it going to be, uh, what kind of wines are you going to make, all those kind of things that people, there's a high level of interest, Linda, for uh, the, the information that, about a winery and about how uh, it, it's made. It's sort of a black box to a lot of people in terms of how wine is actually uh, made and created and bottled. But specifically on, on a uh, note that uh, my, my owner in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, which is a suburb of Tulsa, mm -hmm. uh, and her name is Michelle, and she came from the restaurant industry. She was an executive at a chain of restaurants. So she did know the restaurant and food industry very well, and that, that knowledge has served her very well. But one of the things that she and her husband, her husband Brian, have uh, talked to me repeatedly about is the relationships that have been formed because of their winery in, in their community. So, for example, couples who have met and gotten engaged and ultimately got married uh, because of that they've met at the winery. Uh, her staff, her team that she employs, uh, all of them have great stories about how uh, their families have prospered because uh, the good news is, by the way, about our, our winery businesses, our servers get tipped generally very well because of the nature of our business. It's not a, a low-end food or, or low-cost uh, uh, experience. It's uh, something that our, our guests really understand. There's a high value of that interaction with the servers, and because of that high value, they tend to get good tips. So she's just so proud of all of the relationships that – uh, would not have been formed or would not have been deepened had she not she and her husband decided not to open up this winery and so that's that's very important to a lot of our owners is how do we foster those relationships in the community and bring people together uh, and really really help spread that uh, knowledge and I know from our own experience when we uh, had our winery, uh, which we sold the, the the franchise the first franchise that we had back in two thousand and twelve so I could focus on this um, i 'm still close friends with many of the people that had come in. Uh, to our winery early on in our days, and, and so it's just for it's about relationships, I guess, Linda. Is that mm -hmm. the main story I want to convey to everybody is that that's what this business is about is relationships. And you know, what you're describing as well, Ken, is you're bringing a unique um, a unique opportunity for people to gather in a space that maybe they would not have had. I mean, how many wineries do you think are in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, right? So you're able to offer the community something that maybe they don't have access to right away. And I can see where that would attract your own community, and then you it becomes very tight-knit, right? Yes, it, it is. The, the winery 
and the community are intertwined. It isn't just a business yeah. in the, in the uh, area. It's something that people are passionate about. They promote. Our guests promote us. They bring other people in uh, and just say, you've got to see this place. It's incredible. This yeah. is really a cool place. You're going to love their wines. Yeah, I love that. Um, Ken, we're coming down to the end of the show. If someone's listening and maybe they want to find the closest location, uh, Water's Edge location to them just to experience that, or maybe they are interested in that franchise opportunity, where would they find more information? The best way to get more information, Linda, is to go to our website, and that's very easy. It's Waters, plural, Waters Edge Wineries, plural again. So Waters Edge Wineries, all one word and all on the the, uh, URL. And go there, and on that site, you'll see a lot of information about our brand, our model, our team, uh, our owners, and uh, one of the tabs on there also is, is locations. And so they can get a map up and see every location. We have 20 across the United States. Uh, we'll be opening up uh, a few more here before the end of the year. So they can, they can see where those are and uh, go to their individual websites at each one of the locations to get their hours and uh, follow them on social media. I can't encourage people enough to go out to uh, our sites, for example, our Kalispell, Montana site, our Broken Arrow location, um, you know, pick one and, and go follow them on, on Instagram and on Facebook, and you're just going to see a lot of really neat stories coming up from people that, and the experiences they've had at a water's edge. Yeah, I love that. Well, Ken, we're down to those final three questions. And the first one is, if there is someone listening who is considering purchasing a franchise, what would you suggest that they do to prepare for the process? I think that the two things that are most important in that preparation of the process are, first of all, make sure that for the budget of whether it's our franchise or another franchise brand that you're, you're seeking, that you know what the total investment is, is going to be or a range. And go talk to other SBA lenders or make sure you're going to have the capital when you go into this that it, it's at least initially you're qualified to get because there's nothing more frustrating than falling in love with a brand or a model or something you want to do only to find out that you really don't have the means to pursue it. So be realistic and go, go make sure that your, your finances are able to support the brand that you're after. And then secondly, be willing to commit yourself to get through the franchisor's process. Most franchisors have a process to investigate and validate the model um, and, and get in and, and figure it out if it's something you want to do within 60 to 90 days. Don't drag this out over six months because then you'll forget information. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, be committed to, to every week taking another step of exploring the brand or brands that you want to go after and be committed to uh, talking to the franchisor on a regular basis. One of the most frustrating things I see is people that are highly interested, but they just don't have the time or make the time to really see if our model is, is the right model or mm-hmm. not. And it's okay if it's not, but just don't drag the process out over six months or longer. Right, right. I, I get it because it's, um, it takes up everybody's time because there is a lot of information that the franchisors are trying to communicate, and um, that is excellent, excellent advice there, Ken. So the second question here is, what are two traits that make a successful franchisee? I think uh, it's the same things I, I put – put back uh, a few minutes ago, Linda, in our conversation. And first of all, you know, that you, you have to be passionate about the product or service that that franchisor is offering, in our case, wine. Uh, and then secondly, if it's a people-oriented business, then you should be a people-oriented person. If it's not a people-oriented business, then you should recognize that and say, I'm a people-oriented person. I really, this isn't a good fit for me. 
uh, or if you are introverted, that uh, a business where you can work on your own or, or not deal with a lot of people all the time would be good. So realize where your personality lies with the brand and the model that, that you're going after. So those are the two things I, I would say would, would help people in, in evaluating it. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and I know that um, the franchise business model is certainly beca- getting a lot more attention than uh, that it did, say, 10 years ago. So what do you see the future of franchising look like? I think to bring it full circle, Linda, it's kind of what you talked about at the very beginning of this uh, show, where you talked about how amazing it is that now somebody could be in a winery business and a franchise model who would have thunk that, you know, uh, some time ago when franchising was limited generally to a narrow set of products and services? But that's evolved over time. And the thing that people see in franchising and the benefit, the primary benefit of joining a franchise system is to lower your risk. If you're going to be in business, be in business, you know, for yourself but not by yourself is the old saying, right? So uh, franchising now has taken hold where it, there it, – you could find a franchise model for nearly anything. I, I saw the other day a, a mosquito control franchise. You know, what a neat idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, for areas that have a lot of mosquito issues. But who would have thought that a mosquito control or a mosquito abatement business could be a part of a franchise to help you be successful if that's what you want to do? Mm-hmm. So there isn't uh, – I think that the future of franchising is that you'll be able to find almost any business model you could dream of starting – find a franchise that is successful that's built around that uh, um, that idea or that product or service so that's what I see the future of franchising it'll continue to encompass more and more ideas and concepts uh, than ever before yeah I agree 100% and just in the uh, few years that I've been involved in franchising less than 10 years I have seen more and more industries embrace this because when you think about it it is just a means of distribution distributing a product or a service, and that's what you're doing here, Kim, is you're helping uh, franchise owners, you're helping people have their own business, and they're, you're offering it in an industry that may be very, uh, maybe just right up their alley, you know, and, and the mosquito squad, that might not be up their alley. So this is awesome, Ken. I just absolutely love the concept. And um, so, again, someone's listening and they are intrigued by Water's Edge wineries, whether it's to visit it, maybe it's to have a a bridal shower there, or maybe it's to look at that franchise opportunity. Where would they go to find out more information? So I think that the best way is going back again to our website. There's a contact form on there that you can fill out and send. I actually see all of those. I'm the one that will respond to them. Uh, and uh, and determine that. So, again, that's watersedgewineries.com, and uh, that'll give you all the information that you need to know. There's a great video, by the way, Linda, on the homepage there that shows what our brand looks like, what our model looks like. You actually get to tour our Long Beach location with that. Uh, So I encourage everybody to go out and check out the website. There's everything that's on there that they need to know. Wonderful. Ken, thanks again for being on the the show today. It's really been exciting to learn about Water's Edge and the the difference that you're making out there. So I really appreciate you being on the show. Great. Thanks, Linda, for having me. Absolutely. So, folks, this is a perfect example. If you think you know about franchises, maybe you don't. 
maybe there's opportunities out there that could tap into a passion that you have that you haven't checked into yet, just like with Water's Edge wineries. Leaving you with this quote, it goes like this, wine makes every meal an occasion, every table more elegant, and every day more civilized. This is a quote by Andre Simon, and he is a wine connoisseur. Thanks again for joining me today, folks, on All Things Franchising, and I'll see you next time. Another great episode of All Things Franchising is now in the books. You can listen to past shows by following All Things Franchising on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure not to miss us next time when we bring you a brand new episode of All Things Franchising.